Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Crew. Um, before we start, before we do anything else, if y'all will please just bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, God, we're here to encounter you. Lord, I pray you'd meet each and every one of us right where we're at. Lord, I pray that tonight each and every one of us would leave changed. God, I pray each and every one of us will have encountered you, Holy Spirit, that you would move in each of our hearts. We pray this in your name. God, I pray that each and every one of us, um, God, who are disciples in this room, as we leave, God, I pray you'd show us who our Canaanites are. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd lead us to love them the way you do. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, guys. Like I said, I'm Daniel. I'm on staff with crew. My wife, Missy, in the back. She's going to hate me for calling her out. But she's back there. Yeah. She's so angry at me. She hates attention. I love it. Um, so, all right, guys. Um, like I said, I'm Daniel. Um, and tonight, we're really excited you're here. Like we said, welcome to crew. Here we exist to help you know God, grow in your faith, and go into the world. Um, Tonight, I'm really excited. We're starting um, our new series, and we're calling it Encounter. Now, there's two reasons we're doing this thing, Encounter. The first, uh, the first reason for that name is that we're going to be diving into the Gospels, these four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that are recorded in the Bible, and the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be diving into the Gospels and, and seeing moments when Jesus encountered people because an encounter with Jesus will change your life. The other reason we're calling it Encounter is a quiet prayer from the staff. See, we believe that Jesus wasn't just God with skin on it. It says in Colossians 1 that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that's a really fancy, powerful, profound way of saying Jesus was God who became a man so you could touch him and hear him and see him and know him and know his love for you. Here's the catch, though. He's still alive. And we believe through the Holy Spirit he is in here tonight and he wants to encounter each and every one of you, each and every one of us tonight. So our prayer for y'all tonight is that you would encounter Jesus right where you're at, wherever that is. That's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to be diving into the Gospels to encounter Jesus. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. If you guys brought Bibles, if not, no worries, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. We're in verses 21 through 28. And we're going to be diving into this story about how Jesus encountered or how... A woman, a Canaanite woman, encountered Jesus. But how Jesus encountered a Canaanite woman. I'm going to repeat that one more time. A Canaanite woman. If you don't get where we're going, Canaanite woman is important. Okay. Keep that in mind. I'm going to read, it th- read us through it, and then we're going to break down what the heck this story means. Okay? Look in your Bibles with me. We're in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there. He withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. But he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house 
of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw them to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you just as you desired. And her daughter was healed instantly. All right, guys, this is one of the most confusing stories in the gospel. This has confused a ton of uh, Bible scholars, a ton of theologians, and a ton of people for years. And the ultimate reason it confuses people the ultimate reason, if it's not hitting home, if you, you aren't already crying yet, I'm getting choked up already. If you aren't choked up yet, it's because you don't know what it means that she was a Canaanite woman. Let me explain the history of Canaan and history of the Canaanite people to y'all. Okay, right, Jesus was God. He was also a human, and Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus was the God who brought his word through the Jews, who had spoken to the Jews, and he'd spoken to the Jews because the Jews loved Jesus, at least at first. The Jews loved Jesus. Jesus. They were his people. There was another people, though, just as ancient as the Jews, and they were named after a man named Cain. Some of you guys would have heard about him. He's in Genesis. Cain was the first murderer, and these people were his forebears, the people who took his name, the people who lived after him. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, here's it in brief. Uh, Cain had three brothers. The first name was Abel. Abel loved God. Cain did not. And to make a very long story short, because Cain hated God, he hated God so much, and his brother loved God, his response was to kill him, to murder him. This is what it means to be a Canaanite. The Canaanites hated God so much, they were willing to kill his people. And the people of Canaan descended from Cain, or at least who bore his name, were just like him. They hated God, and they hated God so much, they were willing to, whenever they got the chance, and however they got the chance, kill, oppress, and destroy his people. Whenever they got the chance, they would kill, oppress, or attempt to absolutely destroy God's people. Over the course of about 5,000 years, if you read through Genesis, especially the books of uh, Genesis, if you read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, especially the books of Genesis, uh, the books of uh, Joshua, Judges, if you read through First and Second Samuel, Ruth, if you read through Esther, the entire stories are centered around the Canaanites attempting to kill God's people over and over and over again over the course of 5,000 years. Uh, every couple of hundred years, the Canaanites would get bored. That's a paraphrase, actually. They just hated God, and they'd take this chance whenever they got it. To oppress and enslave God's people, they would treat them like animals, or worse than animals. See, back in the day, animals were agricultural commodities. They were valuable. Jews weren't. They were just slaves. For not hundreds, but thousands of years. And every couple of hundred, couple of thousand years, if you read through the Old Testament, God would see his people suffering, he would hear their prayers, and he would free them from the people of Canaan, their oppressors. When the people of Canaan weren't attempting to enslave the Jews, they were trying to uh, genocide them. They were trying to wipe them out completely. The book of Esther is one of these stories. Literally, a single Canaanite 
and, and his family decide uh, that they're going to get political power, and they get political power, and they do all these hoops, and they get all this, this standing with the king for one reason, because they want to eliminate the Jewish people. The Bible is filled with 10. Uh, most scholars and historians think there's somewhere between 10 and 20 times when the Canaanites attempted to genocide, to kill every single Jew unequivocally. Fathers, mothers, and children. The Canaanites hated God, and they hated his people. Again, the Canaanites hated God, not just his people. There's one last thing the Canaanites were infamous for. See, again, Cain knew who God was, and his people knew who God were, who knew who God was. They knew the Trinity. They knew that there was the Spirit. They knew that there was God, and they knew there was a Messiah coming, and they hated him. And so instead, they would turn to pagan gods. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll hear about them. Most of them uh, worshipped one of these three. They worshipped this god named uh, Baal. They worshipped another one named Asherah. And they loved worshipping this god named Molech. Molech was an interesting pagan deity, a pagan demon. Um, his idea of a good time, his idea of a worship service was human sacrifice. And his favorite sacrifice was children. He would tell the Canaanites, and the Canaanites would willingly do this. They would march into Israel. They would steal their women, often pregnant women. They would take, this is gruesome, but this is what it means to be a Canaanite. They would take the child from his mother's womb, unborn, and they would let his mother, with her dying breath, Watch her child get thrown into a pit of fire. This was their idea of a good time. This is what it meant to be a Canaanite. It meant to be a murderer. It meant you were an oppressor, a slave master. It meant you hated God and hated his people. And for not hundreds, but five thousand years, the Jews survived oppression after oppression from these people. They survived Homicide after homicide, genocide after genocide, because God delivered them from these people, these Canaanite people who hated them. Now you can begin to understand what it means that Jesus, as he was going along his way near the borders of his country, encountered a Canaanite woman. You'll see she walks up to him in the first verses, right? She walks up to him, and she cries out to him. She's in need. She says, Jesus, son of David, Lord, have mercy on me. Can you imagine what it felt like for Jesus to have a Canaanite woman approach him? It would be like a Nazi walking up to a Jew after the Holocaust and saying, could you please help me? Yes, I've killed millions of your people in concentration camps, but could you please just, you know, take care of my kids? Could you imagine what he felt? The only thing is Nazis only had one holocaust. The Canaanites tried 20. Imagine what Jesus felt with this Canaanite woman. It would be like a Ku Klux Klan woman walking up to a black pastor in the middle of Jim Crow and saying, hey, could you help my kid? Only the colonial slave trade only lasted 300 years. The Jews suffered for 5,000. Can you imagine what Jesus felt. He was God. This woman had worshipped Molech in all the traditional ways. Could you imagine what Jesus felt 
when a Canaanite woman walked up to him. So he confronts her with silence. He doesn't say a word. And his disciples, this is really interesting, right? The guys who love Jesus, the good people of God who are walking with him, right? They see this and they say, well, you know what? If we're not going to kill her, if we're not going to curse her out, if we're just going to be quiet, that's fine. But can you please get rid of her? Can you please just get rid of her? Can you please do we have to deal with a Canaanite today? Please just get rid of her. But he doesn't. He just confronts her with silence until she does something really distinct. See, all of a sudden she bows to him. And immediately he begins a conversation with her. She bows to him, and immediately, all of a sudden, he's just all talky. He's ready to talk with her. He stops on his way the minute she bows. See, the reason he, she did that, just so you understand what's going on here. See, at the beginning, right, she walks up to him. She cries out to him, and she says something, but she doesn't act like it. See, she walks up to him and says, Jesus, Lord God, Son of David, that word Son of David means king. Help me, please. See, the only catch is if you actually walked up to a king in the ancient world and you took him seriously, you would bow to him. If you actually took a god seriously, you would bow before him. It's not until she bows that he immediately enters into a conversation. Immediately, though. As soon as she bows... He enters into a conversation with her. And the reason you would bow in the ancient world was this. It was a sign of subservience. It was a sign of saying, hey, I'm not in control of this meeting. You have all the cards. You are in control. You are the one who gets to determine the time, the place, the way that these things happen. I just want to meet with you. But as soon as she bows, even though she was a Canaanite woman, he immediately begins interacting with her. So the first encounter is with silence till she bows. The second encounter they have, they begin this conversation. And in the middle of this conversation, Jesus says two things. The first is this. He says, I came for the sheep of Israel. See, remember, Israel, uh, the word Israel and the people of Israel, the word literally means God's people. It means the people who wrestle with God, who work with God, who live with God. He said, I came for my disciples. I came for my Christ followers, my Christians. I came for my people. He establishes that fact, and then she begs him for help again. And then he says this phrase, and again, it's super confusing for us because we don't know what it means to be a Canaanite. He says, it's not right to give to my children. Uh, what, what's, it's not right to give what's intended for my children to dogs. See, the Jews had a term for Canaanites, a slang term. It was dog. See, nowadays, if you go to UGA, being called a dog's a good thing, right? Being called, or even if you see a dog, right? You, my, my, my wife, every time we pass by a cute little dog on the way, we love taking walks. Every time we, t- we walk by a dog, the puppy, right? Okay? Yeah, we love dogs nowadays. They're pets, but see, in the ancient world, they were pests. They were animals that would play around in the dung. Dogs, back in the ancient world, because they didn't have humans feeding them, their primary source of sustenance, to get hydrated, they would drink the blood of dying animals. And then they would eat the scraps. They were disgusting. 
They were sinful, unclean animals. They were violent, bloodthirsty, and gross. And he looks her in the eyes and he says, subtly, but honestly, you are not one of my children. You're a dog. You're a Canaanite. He calls her out for what she is. And what's amazing in this encounter is that this woman doesn't get defensive. She doesn't hide it. She doesn't run away. She says, yes, I'm a dog. But please, if you have any, I'll take the scraps. She says, yes, I'm a dog. Yes, I've murdered your people. I'm a murderer. Absolutely. She calls herself out for it. She says, yeah, I've murdered Jews. My people have done it. For thousands of years. Yes, I belong there. I'm a dog. Yes, I'm bloodthirsty. Yes, I'm a dog. I'm unclean. I'm filled with sin. I have burned children on the altar of Molech. Yes, I'm a dog. I've oppressed you. I've oppressed your people. I've turned against you. I hated you. Yes, I'm a dog. But please, if you even have scraps, please help my daughter. Please Help me. See, the second encounter, Jesus forces her to confront who she has been. He will not let her run away from who she has been. But the second, the very second she says it, he looks at her and says something that she does not expect. See, at this point, when she confesses, yeah, I'm a dog. Yeah, I'm not just a Canaanite, I'm a Canaanite. This is the moment when you'd expect Jesus, actually by law, right? She just confessed to being a murderer. She just confessed to being a slaver. She just confessed to burning children at altars. She's a baby killer, literally. She just confessed to that. And yet this is the moment, the second, in which he looks at her and he says something amazing. He says, woman, you have great faith. Again, if you don't know Jesus or how he talks about people, you'll miss this. There's only one kind of person Jesus ever says that about. His own. Jesus only ever looks at someone and says that compliment to them. You have great faith when he owns them, when he says, you're mine, you're one of my people, and I love you. And then he turns and tells her this, everything you've prayed for, take it just how you desire. All your desires, all your needs, all your wants, they're yours in me because you're mine. Remember what Jesus said about his children at the beginning? My work is for my sheep. My work is for my people. See, she came a Canaanite. He tells her in that moment, hey, you came a Canaanite. You're leaving one of mine. The three encounters Jesus has with this Canaanite woman. See, there's four of y'all in this room. Again, it's not just what Jesus did encountering other people. This is Jesus encountering you tonight. There are four of y'all in this room that Jesus needs to encounter. Four groups of y'all. The first is this. See, some of y'all are being encountered by Jesus with silence. You're being encountered by Jesus with silence. You don't feel him. You haven't seen him. He's nowhere around. And I want you to hear this. You will only encounter silence from Jesus till you bend your knee to him. 
until you bow before him, all you will taste from him is silence. He will encounter you. He loves you more than you can imagine, but all you will taste from him is silence. Because like this woman said, and you might have even said it with your words, you might hate him. You might be a Canaanite running away from him, but you might genuinely be someone who calls him Lord. You might be someone who calls him the son of David, king, your savior, your God. But if you intend to do things your way, if you intend for your prayers to be answered on your time, in your way, all you are going to encounter from Jesus is his silence. Not because he doesn't love you, he adores you. But because he is God, he is king, he knows what's best for you, and if you want him, you will do things his way. You are not his king. He is not your religion. He is not your form of spirituality, and you do not do things your way with him. He is God, and he will not bend his knee to you. He will give you and encounter you with nothing but silence till you bow before him. The first group of you. The second of you he is encountering. John was given his testimony. The second of you are encountering him like the second way she does. See, you've bowed the knee to him. You've come to him, but you're starting to realize something. Jesus is going to look you in the eyes because you can't hide anything. From him. He's going to look you in the eyes and he's going to call you to confess before his disciples, just like this woman. You are going to have to confess what your identity was, maybe what your identity even is. Some of you have secret sins, some of you have secret hurts, secret harms, double lives. If you encounter Jesus, some of you are encountering right now the Holy Spirit of Jesus, God Almighty. He is going to force you to look yourself in the mirror. He is going to call you to confess it, and he is going to show you who you've been. He's going to call you to own who you've been, even if it's a Canaanite, even if it means calling you out as a dog. He's going to call you out for that double life, for that secret sin, for that hidden struggle. And until you confess to him, there's no going forward. But he wants you to do it not because he wants to embarrass you, not because he wants to kill you, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. And the minute you do, you are going to be shocked, awed, amazed by your third encounter. See, there's a group of you in this room who needs to hear this. When you confess to him, when you come to him, when you bow the knee to him, he is not going to kill you. He is not going to harm you. He is not going to hate you. In that moment of confession, when you think he should destroy you, he's going to look at you. And he's going to tell you the last thing you'd ever expect. You have great faith. You are mine, daughter. You are mine, son, even if you've been a Canaanite, especially if you've been a Canaanite. Now, there's a fourth group in this room. We're crew. A lot of y'all love Jesus. A lot of y'all are disciples. Some of y'all are in that third place, but a lot of y'all are disciples. And the truth is, the disciples are in this story. See, a lot of us, just like the disciples, 
we see our Canaanites and we just, we don't want to kill them and we forgive them, but we're just quietly begging Jesus, please don't make me have to be in relationship with a Canaanite. For some of y'all, it's that guy who you wouldn't give a bid to for, for Rush. He's just, it's probably not, you know, that guy who came by the fraternity or that guy who, you know, but he's not quite cool. And it's just, it's like, do I really have to be friends with him? But Jesus says he's made in my image. Some of y'all, it's the sorority. It's a girl in your sorority who drives you up a wall, who terrifies you, who you just, you, we just don't get each other but she's made in Jesus' image, and he loves her. Some of y'all, it's someone with a different political view than yours, maybe a, politi- a different mask view than yours. And they're okay. We don't want them to go to hell or anything, but like, do we really want to be friends? Notice I didn't just say acquaintances, friends, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ with them. Some of y'all, it's the people who are in your classes or who you walk by the road and you know their identity and their identity is not something you're comfortable with. And yet they were made in the image of God. In 1 John, John, one of the disciples, is thinking back to this moment, this moment where Jesus loved, held, owned a Canaanite. And he says this, if you say you love God who you've never seen with your own eyes, but you don't love his children who were made in his image, you don't love God. Some of us are in that fourth group. We are disciples. And you need to love your Canaanites. Not just allow them to exist, but love your Canaanites. I'm going to leave you all with a quick testimony. Just a quick testimony. There's a woman named Corey Tinboom. Uh, she lived during World War II. Uh, she loved the Lord. She was an amazing uh, woman of God. She and her uh, widower father and her younger sister uh, all decided that they were going to preserve uh, and, and try and save Jews who were being persecuted by the Nazis during the Holocaust. They created a hiding place, a safe place in their um, house, and they would shelter these Jews while they would be ushered out of the country in this sort of underground railroad in the middle of the Holocaust. She and her uh, family got caught and they were sentenced to death by concentration camp. She watched her father get dragged away and murdered by the Nazis and then watched over the course of a couple years while her sister was slowly abused to death by the guards in her concentration camp. But right before her sister died, her sister got a word from the Lord and looked at her and said, Hey, Corey, This is from the Lord. Before I die, I'm going to be going home to see father and mother very soon. I'm going home to heaven very, very soon. I'll be dead within a day or two. But you, my sister, the Lord is going to preserve. He is going to get you out of here supernaturally in a couple days. And when you get out, Corey, he is getting you out for one reason. One reason alone. You are going to go to everyone you meet. And you are going to say this one simple message. There is no pit. No sin. No sinner so lost that his love is not deeper still. A few days later, she died. A few days later, Corey was, for no apparent reason, released from the, from the camp. And she spent the rest of her life giving that message to 
person after person after person. One night, uh, she was preaching and teaching, and at the end, she shared that word. There is no pit so deep. There is no sin so great. There is no sinner so evil, so lost that Jesus' love is not greater still. And as she was praying, at the end, a man came up. He was weeping. He stretched out his hand to her, and he looked up at her. And she was going down to meet him because she saw he was just overcome. He just couldn't hold it together. And she went down to try and take care of him. And as he looked up at her, he saw who he was. It was one of the guards who had abused and murdered her sister. He looked her in the eyes and begged her, Ma'am, is it true? Is there really no pit, no sin, no sinner? so great that God's love is not deeper still. And she looked at him, took a moment and remembered the God who loved the Canaanite. And she looked him in the eyes and she said, brother, there is no pit. There is no sin. There is no sinner. So lost that his love is not deeper still. Bow your knee. Face who you've been. Receive his love. Love your Canaanite. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray you'd encounter each and every one of us right where we're at. Lord, I pray. Right now, God, you would encounter each and every one of us where we're at. I pray for those of us who have even called you Lord but haven't bowed our knees. We're trying to do this our way. God, I pray we bow in this moment. God, I pray for those of us who are terrified of confessing ourselves. I pray, God, we'd own ourselves, our past, and confess it, God, so that we can encounter. God, I pray for those of us who need it tonight. I pray, Jesus, we'd hear you say that you love us. God, I pray tonight you'd show us who our Canaanites are and that we would love them like you do. Amen.